0: I think it was Denzel Washington said in an interview one time, they asked him what does he think his greatest role has been or the best role he's ever portrayed and his answer was the next one.
1: Hi, I'm Aaron and welcome to the Hip Hop Hustle Podcast, where we explore, well you guessed it, hip hop. I'll be interviewing the best artists in the game while also taking some time to appreciate some new and classic albums. Make sure you like and subscribe to the show and follow me on Instagram at The underscore Hip Hop Hustle for any upcoming news and guests. Also, don't forget to check out my new Patreon under Hip Hop Hustle. That will give you exclusive content and help me keep the show running and getting better. Alright, let's get into it. Welcome to the Hip Hop Hustle podcast. I'm with uh, one of the guests I've been extremely excited to talk to for a, for quite a while now. I think we've had this booked for a couple of weeks, and I've just been kind of amping myself up. But I've got the great John Connor uh, with me. Uh, he is the CEO of the All Varsity Music Group. Um, he's literally worked with legends in the industry, and when I say legends, I mean legends. He's worked with one some of my favorites Royster 5'9 he's worked with game he's worked with locksmith he's worked with obviously Dr. Dre Snoop Dogg the list literally goes on and on double XL freshman of the year cover in 2014 so literally you know a, a list of accomplishments but it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show
0: man it's a pleasure to be here and thank you so much I am truly humbled to be here man
1: well, man, how do you look back on everything that you've done in your music career? I mean, when you start, it's like, you know, compared to where you are now, how do you bridge that gap? Because when you start, it's like a dream, all these things that you've done. But how do you look back on it all?
0: Um, I, I actually don't look back on it all, man. It's only in interviews or in conversations where other people bring it up that I actually look back on things because, uh, you know, it reminds me of... Uh, I think it was Denzel Washington said in an interview one time they asked him, what does he think his greatest role has been or the best role he's ever portrayed? And his answer was the next one. And, you know, that meant a lot. It was like, OK, you know, just always keep looking forward. Whatever you did in your past, always strive to do better or, or set new goals or you know what I'm saying? Like, so for me, it's like anything that ever happened in my past was a lesson and I learned from it and it just made me better to keep going. So I don't, I hardly even listen to my old music. I don't listen. Like after something is done, I just keep going. I just keep looking forward, you know, and. So so uh, that's how it is for me, man. Like it truly is. I, I seldom ever look back on anything. I just look at it as it was a part of my journey and I'm just ready to see what's next. I want to try to outdo whatever I've done in the past, man.
1: It's so interesting. Cause people have said to me that they fuck with their own shit. Like they listen to their own music, even stuff that's years old, but you know, cause it feel like that's the, the cool thing to say is like, I still listen to my own music. Like, Personally, I don't listen to my own podcast. I edit it and I have these conversations and listening to me my own voice again would drive me crazy. But why do you think it is that rappers always say, or whether they do or don't, I'm not sure, but do you know rappers who listen to their own music a lot?
0: Well, you know what? I can I can only speak on me, uh, but it's I get you know it's cool to enjoy your own art, you know, to enjoy your own music. But for me, it my answer is quite practical, man. It's the fact that after working on it for so long and I hear my voice all day talking to people and it's just you get tired of hearing your own voice, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Or at least I do. And then I'm so critical, you know. I'm uh I, I would say that I'm a perfectionist to an extent that uh, I'm always listening to music and thinking about how it could be better or what I could have done or, ooh, I wish I would have did this or I wish I would have did that. So, you know, um, I don't listen to a lot of my old music. And I don't know, you know, like I said, to your general question, there's nothing wrong with listening to your own music. I'm not trying to shit on it and say that it's bad to listen to your own music. It's just me personally, my preference, that I just can't. I just don't. Like, um, another dope quote, I think it was – director joel schumacher man he said that the art is only yours while you're creating it after it's yours it belongs to the people so more than just me being sick of my own voice sometimes or being over critical about myself um i think that that's the biggest reason i don't listen to my own music because i had fun with it and i enjoyed it while I was in the studio making it, while I was having the ideas, while I was in the creative process of, oh, I should add this or I should do this or I should say this or whatever. So then when I give it to y'all, when I give it to the people, it's yours. Like, think about it like this, man. Like, let's say uh, we can pick any artist, you know, let's say you had a favorite uh, Kanye West song, you know, and then you went up to Kanye West and you was like, yo, my favorite song of yours is Good Life. And then he said, I hate Good Life. That would totally change your perspective. That would be selfish of me to take the joy that you have from that song away from you by me being critical. So like if you like Connor, I really love this one song of yours. And then I totally was like, yeah, yeah. well, I could have turned the bass up. or I could have my vocals could have been better. You like, damn, I just wanted to enjoy this moment it with you so my favorite songs of mine are whatever yours are whatever the next person or supporter that comes up to me and tells me they love my music that's my favorite song and so I don't knock people that do listen to their own stuff but it's like I can't it's like once I'm finished with it I did it it's done it's yours now it's your song it's your music you know it's about what you enjoy so that's that's just my preference man
1: that's such an interesting perspective no one's actually said that but I actually really agree with you Because I think that's the best way to go about it because you you either get caught in one of two worlds. You get caught in reflecting and too much or critically analyzing what you did in the past and you have no control of what's out there. Or Mm -hmm. even if you did a really good job, you're then comparing yourself to what you did. And so, you know, you see all these artists, especially early, they go platinum or they go gold or whatever, they have a lot of success. Then they compare it to what they did before and they just can't get there. And then, it throws them off the rails, but I mean, for you, how do you control? Cause you said you're very self-critical and you're like self-analyzing and how do you control that without going overboard?
0: um <laughs> my uh my people in my company big steve and Lindsay, might say that i do go overboard and it does get out of control and they got to reel me back in man sometimes you got to reel me back in because i will overanalyze and overthink because um sometimes you want to um You want to stay true to whatever it is that made people like your music in the first place. Right. So to an extent, you got to you got to figure out, well, what is it that I'm doing that people are connecting to? Right. And then you get to a point where it's like, well, maybe they're just connecting with the authenticity of the music. So then these thoughts are going through my head. It's like, was there a certain sound or is it a certain production that people like to hear me over? Or is it you start thinking of all of these things and that gets in the way of being creative? So sometimes I can go overboard and I can't overthink, but I like to give credit to the people around me, man. Ace Cabana, Big Steve, Lindsay, like AVM, my, my staff at all varsity music group, because they have to reel me in and be like, yo, it's, it's dope. It's done. Put it out. You know, this shit is, is, is dope. But I do, I have those moments where I can go overboard and obsess, but it's just that, um, without, without talking for too long, uh, on this particular question it's um, You know, being around Dr. Dre for five years, you know, there were, uh, you know, that was like being in a master class of like, you know, a, a school or an academy, you know, Aftermath University, like being around him and watching just the different ways that Um, he broke down how to listen to music or what you're listening for or how to create those moments and emotions within the music, like being around somebody for five years, a little bit of that starts to rub off on you. So it's like, then you start to become super critical of your music. Like, did I give them those moments Did I maximize the potential of each, you know, part of this record. So, you know, there are those times where I go overboard, but I, I like to thank the people around me for reeling me back in, man.
1: Now that you bring up Dr. Dre, because I'm sure everyone asks you about Dre all the time, and you, you must be at some point tired of talking about it, but did you find, like, those parts where he was breaking every track down, did you find that difficult to go that far in depth into finding the the real nitty-gritty stuff that he was picking on?
0: It wasn't difficult for me. The the I, It was almost like an aha moment. Because when I was making music just with my friends prior to getting signed, you know, in my mother's basement in Flint, Michigan, I used to have similar thoughts. But then the people around me at that time would be like, you overthinking or you thinking too much. Then when I met Dre and I saw that he thought the same in like ways like that I did, it was almost like I felt like I wasn't crazy. You know what I'm saying? It was like, oh, shit. So I was right. Like, I was right in looking at things in this way. So when he would break down certain things in my head, I would be like, that's what I thought. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's what the fuck I thought. You know, it was like almost um, confirmation that I wasn't crazy, just that I was on a certain path of trying to get to a certain level of greatness creatively that most people don't aspire to get to. And you're going to get looked at like you're crazy. You're going to get looked at like something's wrong with you. You're going to have people around you telling you that you think too hard or you think too much or they don't understand. You know, that's a, a part of what it is to aspire to that level of achievement. But it was like, yeah, when I was around Dre, it wasn't difficult to understand it. It was like I took to it to a fish, like a fish to water. It was like it actually made sense to me. It was like these were all the things that I was trying to explain to the people back home, but they just didn't understand. And then when I finally got around Dre, it was like getting around Yoda and I was like Luke Skywalker or something. And I just, I understood completely uh, why everything was necessary and why he was breaking things down the way that he did.
1: Well, I mean, because you were uh, on with Dre for a long time. Like, I think it was five years. Is that right? Yeah. How was that? Five over- years, man. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's kind of crazy to to be around someone so kind of like you said Yoda like especially in hip-hop his legacy almost speaks before he even utters a word but how did you find that overall experience I know you said you you got a lot from it in terms of learning from him but how was it in terms of creatively for you to because you didn't release any projects over that period of time what, what happened
0: there I think that um because you asked two questions in that. So I want to make sure I answer both of them. So how was the overall experience? Um, It was, it was just like anything else in life. I think that um, life itself is balanced and you're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days. I learned a lot of great things. I learned a lot of, I learned a lot of lessons. And, you know, I don't I don't necessarily believe in bad because I believe anything that happens to you that's perceivably bad is a lesson that you're supposed to learn from. My father always told me everything is a teachable moment. But I learned the music business the hard way. I learned uh, I learned being creative the hard way. I learned work ethic the hard way. And that's the way I like it being from Flint, Michigan. We love to work hard. We love to learn, you know. So it was the experience overall is often compared to high school or college you know you had good days in college in high school you had bad days but overall the experiments made the experience made you a better person so my experience overall i have it was such a great time in my life because like i said it it taught me new things it gave me clarity and um it gave me confirmation on just a lot of things uh within myself as an artist Uh, to follow my instincts, to, uh, you know what I'm saying, to, if I believe in something, not question it, you know what I'm saying, surround yourself with people that are going to feed your spirit in a positive way, to feed your creative juices in a positive way, keep people around you that are inspired and that are creative, stay away from negative energy, all of that type of stuff, like, you know, was what I learned from, and I, I look at it like, and I'm a highly spiritual person, so sometimes i'll give you an example um sometimes you could go into the studio with somebody and y'all don't get a song done that day but maybe y'all had a really great conversation that inspires a song that you're going to create next week so sometimes the studio and music is the bait that lures you into the scenario that teaches you the lesson that you're going to need to use later in life so the way i look at the album vehicle city that i created while i was at aftermath is like okay maybe I thought at the time, okay, I'm over here to make this album, which I would have loved to put that that album out. I put a lot of hard work into it, a lot of time into it. But maybe on a spiritual level, it's like, yo, maybe the album was the bait for you to get over here to learn these lessons. Because when I first got there, I was very naive when it comes to the music business, like it was a lot, I, I cared so much about the creative part that I, I think that I suffered and lacked at caring about the business aspect of it. And while being at Aftermath, there was a lot of lessons that I learned business wise. There was a lot of missteps that I made that I would never make again. And there was also, like I said, confirmation and clarity of things creatively that I learned while I was at Aftermath. So maybe in hindsight, the album was to get me to be around the Dr. Dre's, the Snoop Dogs, and all of these type of people, the Marsha Ambrosia's, the the certain legal people that I was around, DJ Paul from Three Six Mafia, Kelly Price, all of these legends that I've met during that time period. Maybe the creation of that album was just for me to have certain conversations that I could use now um, to put that knowledge into my company or Varsity Music Group. And so that's how I look at it, man.
1: That's such a good outlook on it like it's such a like what impresses me about you other than obviously you as an artist is your positive outlook on everything that happens there's always a positive to it and that you can take a lesson from it and
0: you're not going to get bogged down
1: by a difficult period
0: thank you i i really appreciate you saying that man it's not look it ain't always easy but you know what I'm saying but yes that is my outlook that everything is a teachable moment You know, we can look at some, you know, it's that old adage that, you know, the glass is either half full or half empty. I'm a half full guy. I'm an Aries, you know, and, um, you know, I don't know how deep, you know, you are or your listeners are into astrology and stuff like that. But I I do look at, you know, astrological signs as a part of what makes us who we are as well. And so it's like just Aries naturally, we are naturally optimistic people. So, you know, we go through these things and they make us stronger. And, you know, you can either take something and let it make you depressed and give up on yourself or you could let it make you stronger and strive like I look at it like while I was at Aftermath I was exposed to so many things like man that was the first time I was ever on a private jet you know it was the first time that I was ever and uh, uh seen mansions in Malibu and seen million dollar cars and that type of thing and so the way I look at it is I always tell my artists and I tell anybody who will listen if you can touch it you can have it So, like I said, creating that album might have just been what was supposed to lure me into that situation in order for my eyes to see what was possible for me to have, you know, to be around a Dre and to understand, you know, the ups and the downs of how I should be as a mentor to younger artists, you know, to take certain things and apply it to my life or to look at just how certain things were done or things that I felt like could have been better or whatever and put all of that into my life and then just build and grow off of that. So I I am not that guy that sits in the fucking house and believes the woe is me. I have those days and I'll shake it off and then I'll keep going because everything is a teachable moment. And as long as you got air in your lungs, man, you have every day you have an opportunity to create your new reality. So if something don't go your fucking way, okay, it didn't go your way that day. But as long as you wake up the next day, you got another opportunity to make it go your way.
1: I agree. And I think, I think there's a period of like you, sh- you should be able to recognize your emotions and recognize how you feel, but then it's important to learn how to go, okay, I've done that and now it can't wreck tomorrow or it can't wreck next week or next month or next year. Like at some point you just have to get back up. And I think we, I think we as humans and I think we accept sometimes that people just are in a bad place for too long before we're like, all right, you need to step up. And I think those lessons, I mean, that you've learned definitely apply to a lot of people.
0: Wow. Thank you. Thank you so much. I think you said something that was very teachable too. It's nothing wrong with grieving a situation or, uh, you know, or or whatever, but don't stay there too long. That's the thing. We all are human. Nobody is just invincible. And because that's not healthy if you don't take in some of the negative things that happen to you and grieve it, um, but the unhealthy part is stand there too long. So I commend you for that. So and thank you for that, man.
1: Well, I had this conversation literally this morning, uh, funnily enough, at the gym. But I, I said that you know, men, are, we have, as society hasn't taught us to embrace our emotions, and you know, mm-hmm. I can say that that in Australia, it's probably in the US as well. But like, it's very difficult for men. To especially, you know, growing up 20, 30 years ago, that's when you were a kid, to now it's more accepted to actually go instead of pushing all of that down and letting it come out in in negative ways, it's good to just let it out so that you can accept it and move
0: on. I 110% agree. And I love that the world is moving in that direction because that would be unhealthy and inhuman to not. Express those emotions when you have those downtimes. Like, man, with me and to anybody listening to this, man, like um take those moments for yourself because they're needed. Like, especially on my journey, I've endured a lot. So it's some days that I might just have a cry day, like you know what I'm saying, where I'll just have a day, fuck it. I don't want to hear from nobody. I'm cutting my ringer off. I'm going to cry it out. I might make some music. The actual the record that I just put out, um, the video To Whom It May Concern, I cried while I was making the beat. It was times where I was uh, I had teared up when I was saying the words that was coming out and people that are listening to it are saying that they could hear the emotion in the record because it was like that. So I believe in that and I've always believed in that, you know, a wise person once told me, grieve it and leave it. Make sure you take that time to grieve it. And after you're done, whether you're going to cry for a day or cry for a week, get that shit out. Like uh, if you got to scream and and a pillow, put a pillow over your face and go, ah, like whatever you're going to do, get it out and then recharge and keep going. So, yes, it's a very human thing. We wouldn't have tear ducts and we wouldn't be if we weren't supposed to cry. We wouldn't have been born with the ability to cry. So apparently it has a purpose in our lives It's to release It's to get it out. So ain't nothing weak about crying. I think that it's weak when people act like they don't cry. I think that it's weak when people act like, oh, that didn't bother me. Yes, it did. You know what I'm saying? It did. So just embrace it, grieve it and leave it, man. Also, you
1: feel better after crying. Like you actually legitimately feel better. That's what never no one ever tells you. Like you hear your mom, my mom told me like you feel better or like girlfriends told me, but then until you do it yourself, you don't really know how much better it is because you just, it's like this all this tension and all this, it just got let out. It's like it literally poured out of you.
0: Absolutely. I 110% agree. Absolutely.
1: Well, one more question about the, the Dr. Dre experience and, and then I'll ask you a few others. Um Do sure. you remember the feedback they told you? Because I'm sure you wanted to release the project. What, did they tell you why they were like, you know what, it's not ready? Like, what was their explanation?
0: Honest answer, I still don't know to this day. It's a it's a mystery. It's a question mark over it. And I always look at it like this. Um, while I was signed to them, whatever I created was owned by Universal Music Group, Interscope, Aftermath. So to me, I looked at it like this. This music is yours to do what you will with it. You know, so that's why I don't. I don't hang, I don't get too hung up on what happened or why. Because it was like, I got signed to create music. I did that. And so for whatever you do with it, after I create it, is your business. So uh, Universal Interscope Aftermath has a whole hard drive, of John Connor music that's just in the archives, but it's theirs. You know what I'm saying? It's theirs to do. It's like, you know, if you buy any piece of art, it's yours. You know, it's like that guy that... uh, (laughs) It's like that dude that bought the Wu Tang, the unreleased Wu Tang album. You know, that his. came
1: to mind. That was the when you said that. That was the first example that came to my head. Is like, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, and like you know, people ask that dude, like, why don't you release it? Well, it's his. He can do what I guess he can do whatever he want to do. Not. I don't get into right and wrong, you know, not to say who's to say if it's right or wrong, you know, but it's like Vehicle City is owned by Interscope Aftermath Universal and it's theirs to do what they want to do with it. I'm an artist, so I'm going to do what an artist is supposed to do. And that's keep creating. And I think, you know, that music represented where I was at at that time but I think that now moving forward with my company like I look forward to just giving people this new music full of the new energy and the new space and all of the lessons that I've learned because of my journey like I'm just anxious to give y'all the new music so it's like you know that album was a cool moment in time but now for me it's like I'm looking forward to just giving y'all everything like where I'm at spiritually now man and creatively and artistically now.
1: And I think the fans are keen to to see you get back and and kind of find where you are right now and I see on the YouTube comments that everyone's like you know John Connor's back the people's rapper he's back you know it's it must feel so good to have you know fans also recognizing that you know they've missed you and you know they had tastes of like you know what you did on Compton and and like people still know that you had the the talent and the success and the hard work but now that you can release music kind of unfiltered in in the sense that it's all yours you own it that now I think people are like getting excited again
0: yeah and I'm I'm just as excited as them it feels so good to be back in control of my destiny like I said I'm an Aries so we're kind of like impulsive uh you know people that just like if I want to drop a song tomorrow I would like to be able to drop it and so I think that I would never just shit on major labels or nothing like that, but I think that um, that system works for some artists because a lot of the work gets done for you, and it's kind of like, you know, um, they have these plans for you, and you, you really don't have to do too much thinking when you're on a major label, right? But I like being in control of my destiny. I like working hard. I like putting the work in. So it's just that being on a major just wasn't for me. And it's for some people and it's not for other people. I'm inspired by cats like Tech 9 you know what I'm saying, who has strange music. And he found his fan base, found his niche, and is able to feed his family, uh, sell out shows and and festivals and all of that. I look at, you know, back in the day with Hobson and Funk Volume and what they were able to do. I look at Currency. I look at you know, artists like that. I look at Dizzy Wright. I look at my peers. I look at my man, Chris Webby and what he's doing with his company, ADHD. It's like, these are all independent labels and independent artists who are able to become multi-millionaires from servicing their fan base. It's like, I'm not that. I learned that I'm not that artist. That I'm not like a club artist. Like, I don't even know if I want to hear John Connor when I'm in the club. Like, you know what I'm saying? I don't think that I'm that type of artist, but okay. I love, I, I I would love to hear Migos in the club. I would love, because those are those type of artists, you know what I'm saying? Or Cardi B or whatever. It's a lane for that. But I don't think that that's the type of artist that I am. I've figured out who I am, what I am. And I just want to service those people that enjoy what I do. So I don't want to have to sell my soul trying to make the the biggest song on TikTok. If I just so happen to make a song that pops off in some of these social media circles, that's cool. But I don't get in the studio and let that drive what what makes me... uh, Uh, that 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 isn't the creative force or creative drive behind what I'm doing. I just want to connect with the people. I want to help people through my music. I am the people's rapper in the sense that I do. I don't have a problem showing my vulnerability. I don't have a problem with talking about things that are personal to me because I know every human goes through similar situations we've all experienced heartbreak we've all had friends that have turned on us we've all had issues with our parents from time to time we've all had just certain things that we've all went through everybody ain't happy all the time everybody's not sad all the time so i like to show that growth through my music and i'm just as happy as they are i don't often read credit of the uh comments man but my assistant, Lindsay, she was like, you should read some of these. Uh, and I'm like, OK, cool. And when I did, I actually teared up. It's no sound like I just be crying all the time. Look, y'all, I don't just be crying all the time. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, she said, you should look at some of these. And I was I actually I did tear up because they felt my emotion and they felt the, the way that I feel is I miss the people. I miss giving my art to the people just as much as they miss hearing it. And I'm just looking forward to rebuilding, rebranding, and growing my audience, man. And I just thank everybody for appreciating and liking what I do. And I hope that everybody's willing to take this ride with me. I guess this is like chapter two of the John Connor saga. It's like the, the pre-record you know record deal and then post-record deal John Connor career. And I'm just looking forward to uh, it's like the, it, on the song to him and make concern. It says sometimes you got to go away to come back, and I'm just appreciative and grateful for everybody for rocking with me. And I'm just gonna make sure I pour my heart into everything I do as my way of saying thank you.
1: Well, you know, in the hero's journey, they always have in every film they come back from you know adversity. That that is the recipe for success. So I think you've nailed the this narrative for it, and now you're on the definitely the right path. I actually have like two questions that are completely opposite in my mind i'm choosing
0: one and then i'll go back to the other but uh you mentioned before you ask me that question can i say one thing yeah to Anybody listening to this who is a john connor fan and has any ever been a john connor fan just know there was never a time where i didn't want to give you music there was never a time where i got lazy or uninspired or anything like that like there was never just know mm-hmm. I always wanted to give y'all music and I I never wanted to go away. So, as a result of that, I would never, knock on wood, ever go on hiatus again. So, I just want to say thank y'all because it was certain times that maybe fans of mine didn't know exactly what was going on, but just know there was never a time that I didn't want to be giving you guys music. So, I just appreciate you.
1: But go ahead. I love that. We'll, we'll have to clip that out and, and post that as a preview of our chat. But yeah. one of the questions that I had was about the business side of it because I feel like you're definitely right that a lot of artists, they start their music career in the hope to be a successful artist, whatever that looks like, but they're not aware of what the music industry really is. Do you feel like if there is if there would be an education tool on, you know, what that actually is? What are the skills you need? How do you, you know, manage, you know, recording contracts? How do you manage contracts in general? Do you feel like there is room for that kind of growth and development that's accessible for young artists?
0: Well, absolutely. The funny thing, not trying to just plug my own shit, but for my artists that I work with on my company, All Varsity Music Group, every Sunday we do industry etiquette class. And I teach them all of the things that I wish someone would have taught me when I was coming into the game. And hopefully the more established I get, um, the more people that I can invite to this and maybe I could do seminars. But I do think that there should be an industry etiquette class for anyone trying to get into the music business. I had a friend of mine, uh, my ex-partner, a uh, former NBA player, Mateen Cleves, um, he told me that when you go to the NBA, there's a whole class that they give NBA players their rookie year, like that teaches them how to deal with finances, that teaches them how to properly deal with groupies, that teaches them how to deal with. Yeah, that's necessary. You know what I'm saying? I think that there should be that. And I think that that's one of the flaws about the music industry is that a lot of times, especially in hip hop, you're dealing with people that are coming from poverty stricken areas and they'll do anything to get out of poverty. So they don't want to read nothing. They don't want to they don't want to know anything. It's just like, okay, this person is offering to give me more money than I ever had in my life and I'll do anything to get out of the ghetto. I'll do anything to get out of the hood. And so now. They are uh, subjected to manipulation from people that understand the business more than they do. And what happens with that is those people that manipulate them are like, um, okay, we'll take you and we'll use you for a couple of years and you don't know anything. So we're going to take the majority of the money that you're supposed to make and we'll throw you back into the ghetto. And now we'll find the next unsuspecting young person that comes from poverty. We'll do the same thing to him. And when we're done with him, we'll throw him back. You know, so I do think that there's room for um, some sort of industry etiquette or some sort of of arts center or some sort of form of education that artists should go through. Because if you if you want to be a lawyer, you can go to law school. You want to be a dentist? You know what I'm saying? There's dental school. You want to be a doctor? There's medical school. There's absolutely no education whatsoever for music. You come right off of the street with your wide eyes and dreaming big and there are so many people that know more than you and they they've seen you coming a million times over and there's no education for artists so it's like like i said part of the music industry what i learned is manipulation is like 80 percent of the music business people that know more than you and use what you don't know against you And then before you know it, you've mishandled your money, you've mishandled your fame because you thought it was going to last forever. And now you're trying to figure it out again. So like I said, what I'm starting to do and change starts with self. So what I do with my artists at All Varsity Music Group, like I said, every Sunday, we do industry etiquette class where we talk about contracts. I actually show them my contracts that I signed with Aftermath and what I signed at different management deals that I've had in my life so they can see what an actual contract looks like. The first time you see a contract in the music business, it's fucking overwhelming.
1: They're fucking, you know, they are real thick and they're complicated. It's because I actually did a commerce law degree. So I did, I went to uni and I thought I wanted to be a lawyer only to realize I didn't want to be a lawyer at all. (laughs) Uh, But, but I remember studying contracts and every contract is complicated as hell. They're all complicated. They got point A point, Point one A, point one B, and yes. it's and it's using extremely formal legal language that is not like right. you and I talking where it's like we can have a conversation. So you need somebody to like spell it out for you because it's it places like words that really don't make sense in the words right. and they're long sentences. It's not like sentence, sentence. It's a paragraph which is in fact a sentence. But I think, you know, and to your point. They do teach music at universities and they do do teach music, but they don't teach the business of music. They teach music theory and how to be a good artist, but they don't teach you how to combine that with, all right, what's the commerce side of it? And I think that's what's missing. And, you know, the good thing about the NBA is that it's one organization. So they have a duty of care to all their players, whereas the music industry, it's a bunch of organizations trying to, get to the top and they're using artists to get to the
0: top. I 110% agree. You said it like, bro, you need, you need an interpreter for contracts in the music business with contracts in general. Like you said, it's not worded how you and I actually speak. And all of this is intentional. You know what I mean? It's intentional so that you have to pay the lawyer who is actually in cahoots with the label, who's actually in cahoots with this other entity. Like, you know what I'm saying? And everybody is, everybody's uh, progressing from your lack of knowledge, information, and your lack of intelligence about the situation. So, you know, like I said, I do industry etiquette class. And the more, you know, the more I uh, gain ground and the more I grow, the more I want to start opening up my industry etiquette class to more people, not just my artists, but just people in different cities, in different states, because that's so important. Everybody can, you know, if you're creative, you, you can make music until you're blue in the face. But the goal is to be able to sustain, to be able to take care of your family, to be able to turn your art, into financial freedom to where you can um, take care of your mother, your kids, your whoever needs it. And a lot of the music business I learned is that the people who are already in position stay in position and they can manipulate the people that don't know any better and the rich stay rich and the poor get think they're rich for a second and then end up back in poverty.
1: It's all perspective. It's like you're rich compared to what you had. So the deal looks good. So you've never seen you know, that many zeros on a check. And then you see the zeros and then you're like, I've made it. And then you live with the label and you haven't made it at all. And for anyone who doesn't believe us, lawyers have lawyers. There, No lawyer represents themselves in court. Anyone who represents themselves is fucked because if a lawyer gets a lawyer, then you can guarantee that you need a lawyer as well. So never sign a contract without getting a lawyer to read it, an independent lawyer, not the lawyer at the label because they're going to tell you it's all good. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, and it sounds like common sense when we say it like this, but literally you're right. They take advantage of the desperation that, you know, you've been working for however long. You were maybe 10 years old when you started Wanting to be a rapper. You've been working on that dream. You're now 25 and you get a deal. That's 15 years in the making. And you're like,
0: whatever it takes. And you just sign it because that's the dream. That's the dream. And isn't that part of the entire the big machine is like ever since we were kids every movie we ever saw there's the scene in the movie where the musician gets the record deal and it's the greatest moment of their life right and it's almost intentional that there's no portion of the movie that talks about them having to get a lawyer is yes such and such signed us And so you grow up watching that in every film you ever saw about music and every story or biography you've ever seen. Getting signed was the best moment of my life. That is the way it's portrayed. So these little details and it is a good thing. It can be. But I think that those little, you know, they say the devil is in the details. It's the details that you're leaving out that can uh, either, you know, build or destroy a life. You know, so I think that it is super important for us to care or at least somebody in my position that has been through it all in the music business to care enough. You know, it's an old expression. Each one teach one. I do believe that if I have knowledge and I see certain people going through a certain path that I've been through, I think that it's a sin. And I think that it's wrong if you turn your head and don't at least try to educate somebody on something that they didn't know, because then that would just make me as bad as the industry the, the parts of the industry that i dislike
1: i agree and the thing about movies is no one wants to see you talking to a bunch of lawyers it's not sexy no one right. you know, <laughs> imagine a movie where 30 minutes is you talking to lawyers and going hey who do you represent and they just talk about you know just legal jargon it's like there's a there's a right. show suits have you seen suits it's like a it's about i've heard of. so it's just like it's just lawyers right but they don't mm-hmm. do what lawyers do. They, they run around and they investigate crimes. And it's like lawyers sit in offices and do paperwork. And I remember right. watching it as, a, as like a teenager going, oh, that'd be cool to be that type of lawyer. It's not what lawyers do. They, don't, they right. only show you the sexy stuff that you think lawyers do, like represent people in court. I object, all that shit. It's none right. of that. It's none of that.
0: <laughs> facts, facts. <laughs> I 110% agree. It is the exact same way with being an artist. Absolutely.
1: Well, one of the other question that I had that has been sitting in my mind ever since you said that you were an Aries was I'm interested to know what you think of the album Aquemini, purely because, you know, I assume because you are interested in obviously star signs and they're using their star signs and kind of out of the blue, but do you have an opinion on that? Because they're obviously – you know two very unique characters but they're also uh in tune with their own astrology as well obviously by the name of the album
0: classic album and it was a it was a great representation of who they are because as you can see when you just look at both of them when you just look at a picture of both of them you could just see how different they are you know what i'm saying and i think that it always has reflected through their music i thought that in that album Classic. It's, it's nothing more I can say. Classic album. I've always been inspired by Outkast, man. Classic. And my little my artist Ace Gabanna, like he's super inspired by Outkast. When we started, uh, because I produced uh, like ninety percent of his album. So the way when I produce albums, I want to get into the artist's head. And so when we had a, the first conversation about his album, I said, well, where are we going with this? He said, bro, I grew up listening to Outkast. I love Outkast. And so, and Aquemini was one of the albums that he told me to listen to, you know, when thinking about creating for his album. So nothing but respect for Outkast, man.
1: Well, I, the because I actually reviewed it recently because I hadn't listened to it. Uh, I didn't grow up with it and I hadn't actually, I listened to it when I was like 16. It went over my head. Like I just didn't. Didn't appreciate it for what it was. I think I was too young wow. to really I understand. Was right.
0: It's it, when I got older, I listened to it. When I was that age, when it actually first came out, I was listening to Cash Money and No Limit. I was listening to Tupac, Jay Z. Like far as hip hop goes, like yes, I was. I was listening to the bounce and the flashy stuff. Then when I got deeper into musicianship and started becoming an artist myself, then I started getting deeper into like Organized Noise and Outcasts.
1: Well, I think, well, literally, I think that's a quote from Andre. It'll go over your head now, but you'll catch on later. That was literally my experience with the album and an artist, Carl Lucas, he, that was his favorite album. So we reviewed it together. Um, but yeah, I think it's what I like the most about it is how they are in tune with themselves, that they don't represent themselves other than who they are and especially mm-hmm. like together together. They're almost polar opposites. Andre 3000, Big Boy, they don't try to be, oh, we're the same person. They're right. like, Andre is completely different. Big Boy is completely different. But together, we we literally work together the best and we got each other's backs. And I love that message just in general for everyone and in the music industry.
0: Absolutely. I 110% agree, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. What was the
1: challenge starting your own music company? I always find that interesting, like from making the decision to go, all right, I want to start my own label. I want to support my own artist. But what are the challenges to have the idea and then actually take it to a place where, you know what, I'm actually doing it?
0: Well, the funny thing is that I, the, when I started rapping, I started with the intention of having my own label because I was really inspired, like I said, mentioned a little second ago, by Master P and his story of being an independent artist and, and then just bringing his city sound to the forefront by putting on all of those artists from new Orleans. Um, I think the heart, the toughest part is, um, dealing with artists, uh, you know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> artists have, um, what's the best way I can put this is sometimes you might have a really talented artist, but they still have some maturing to do spiritually. And, um, Am I still there? Yeah, you're still here. OK, I'm sorry. I had a phone nah. call. <laughs> We're good. But dealing with artists because they can be, you know, just immature in different ways. And this journey of being an artist, it is truly that it's a journey. And for some people, it's long. And for some people, it happens like that. You know what I mean? But it's different for everybody. And sometimes artists can get to looking at other artists and comparing themselves to other people's journey. Well, If I make this type of song, then I should blow up overnight because that's what happened to that person. No, you don't know where that person is mentally. Maybe that person is a little more educated in the business. Maybe that person is a more likable person. Maybe that person has a bigger personality. Maybe that person, you never know why someone else's journey goes the way it goes and yours goes a certain way. So I think the toughest part is just dealing with the different personalities of artists because everybody's at a different space. Everybody's at a different place in their individual journey. And you you have to try to sell an artist on understanding like, it's not just about the music, you know, it's not just about the music. It's about, you know, how how you conduct yourself. It's about the business. It's about, uh, you know, setting yourself apart. It's about, you know, do you want to just be one of these fly by night artists? Or do you want, do you want to have longevity? You know, it's about so much more than just making a song, putting it out and blowing and blowing up. And so I think that for me, the most difficult part has been trying to uh, convey that message to younger artists of, Just slow down. Enjoy the journey. Take time to learn. Take time to build. Take time to grow. Find your sound. Don't just listen to the radio. Try to create that and think that that's what's going to change your life. Take time to find yourself. Then put yourself into your art and you'll have a fan base that's going to rock with you forever.
1: And for those that that don't know, we booked this for 5 p.m. and John was here 5 p.m. on the nose. And- (laughs) And yes. for, if you don't know, it's very difficult to for you know to get rappers to be on time. It's not exactly a strong suit of artists. They tend to like go with the flow. But so definitely, I think that people underestimate the professionalism in terms of what a successful artist look like. I mean, you work with Trey. I'm sure Dre is the same. He has very strict things that he wants, and he treats his job very. You know, you look at Jay Z. You look at Fifty Cent. You look at anyone who's made. A successful career, they have very meticulously gotten to where they're at. They're not just randomly getting there. And I'm talking about longevity, like a long career. Sometimes you blow and you get big and it's like right timing, right music, right sound, right people hear it and it just explodes. But to have a long career, that professionalism is definitely part of it.
0: Absolutely. And I just wanted to say too, a lot of times uh, because of course I was signed to Aftermath for five years, like a lot of people just associate with me with Dre, but it's so many other legends that contribute to me learning those type of lessons. Like I have to always shout out my big brother EA Ski. I have to shout out DJ Paul of 36 Mafia. I have to shout out uh Kelly Price. Um, I have to, I'm trying to think of all of the other people that really, oh, my man KLC from Beast by the pound uh fiend from no limit international jones like all of these people were uh played a part in just teaching me about that professionalism you know just as much as Dre. and in certain areas like were you know super influential on my career like and i think all of them taught me different things that i i hold on to so like i say it's dope because yes I was on Aftermath, but it was a lot of other legendary people that kind of took me under their wings. Just Marsha Ambrosia taught me professionalism. My man, DJ Silk. Uh, I'm really trying to remember just everybody. Anybody that I forget, blame my mind and not my heart. But it's like, yeah, like, I just want to make that distinguishment love to to bro Dre. But it was also people that were just as influential in my life and in my career as, as Dre was in teaching me professionalism in the music business.
1: Well, did you think those people gravitated towards you because they saw your attitude, that you you were willing to learn, that you weren't coming in with an ego and that you were like, you know what, now that I, I've realized I have a lot to learn. Do you think that was why a lot of people were giving you the time of day and giving you the lessons that they'd learned?
0: Yeah, man. Um, I'm a sponge. You know, I don't have an ego, man. Like, you know, and I I, I like to think that uh, being from Flint, Michigan, we just give off an authentic aura. And so with me, anytime I'm in the room, oh, wait, how did I, how could I forget? Royce Defy Nine also is another one and DJ K Slay. So I can't forget them as well. But I think that, yes, what they saw in me was just somebody that wanted to learn. I don't when I'm around somebody who's done something longer than me and has more information about it than me I just shut up you know I'll ask questions when it's necessary but it's like you know I want to learn it's like I look at people like all those people I named like you've been here a long time for a reason so there's obviously something that you know that I haven't learned yet and I still could learn every day is something we could learn you never done learning if you ever get to that you know what is it they say a man knows everything when he realizes he knows nothing, you know. So every day I wake up like, what am I going to learn today? I'm always looking to learn. So, yeah, I think that they could see because I was always just quiet. Um, and even still to this day, with everything I've been through, whenever I'm around DJ Paul, whenever I'm around Royce five nine, whenever I'm around K Slay or any of these people or Kelly Price, it's normally just me sitting there like a school kid and I'm just nice. listening. You know, so, yeah, I think that they kind of just caught the vibe that I want to learn, that I don't want to be a know-it-all. I don't want to stand in my own way and that there's always something to be learned so that I can go teach the next generation.
1: Well, there is a saying as well that, like, always be the dumbest person in the room. Mm. If you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. And, and I, that, that's such a profound saying because it's like, be careful of chasing the ego. Like, to me, it really goes... Don't ego chase. Don't try to be in the room where you're the smartest because that's where you don't learn. That's where you just get the ego stroked. Everyone's impressed by you, but then you go to a room where you're not the smartest and you have your opportunity to really grow. And I think that's so important for, for especially artists. And, you know, I still learn that lesson where I like my ego stroked, where people like, yeah, you're doing a good job. And then I have to be like, but I'm not even close to where I need to get to. And that that, that drive for always improvement, that's what's going to get you to where you need to go.
0: Absolutely. I have the toughest time. My, my crew get on me about it, but I have the toughest time accepting compliments, like, because I'm always striving to get, to get somewhere else. So I can 100% agree with that, man.
1: Well, why do you think that is like, I know you, you, you're very motivated. You're very down to earth, but why do you think that? Cause you take on feedback really well. It's so interesting. You take on feedback so well but you don't take positive feedback because you're like, is, is it because you think you might get complacent? Like what what is it that you think?
0: Well, like I said, man, I, the biggest reason for that is because of my spirituality, because i and i you know not to get too deep on y'all but this the the answer to the question you know you asked me a very specific question and there's a very specific answer is that i truly believe that anything that i'm doing as this vessel i'm being allowed to do by a higher power so i feel like if 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 i'm accepting so many compliments i'm not giving respect to the universe to god to allah to i'm not giving Giving respect to that spirit that's allowing me to do it, I feel like it's very arrogant of me to be like, I did this and I did that when, you know, I could wake up and my voice is gone tomorrow, you know what I'm saying? I could wake up and be deaf tomorrow. I could wake up tomorrow and be crippled or something. So I'm being allowed to do these things. So, you know, Dre used to have a, a, a picture on the wall in the studio and it said, your ego is not your amigo. You know, and I believe that. And so for me, spiritually, I think that's why, like, I'm I'm cool with accepting a hey, Connor. I like that song. But when it comes to just someone just repetitiously giving me like a compliment, I start to feel like I'm there's i I start to feel selfish or like i'm not giving enough respect to uh the universe that's allowing me to be able to do what i'm doing and you know i'm just a vessel and so that's truly the reason why i can't accept compliments it's like okay thank you but even when and not to just ramble but even when i'm creating in the studio um I don't write lyrics down. Right. So when I'm sitting in front of the microphone, these words are just coming out of nowhere. And some of the times I'm saying shit, that i feel like i'm not that smart where the fuck did that come from like you know what i'm saying like how the fuck like what what like you know and so it's like i do believe you know there's a higher source that is allowing me or giving me the opportunity to be able to do what it is that i'm doing and live the life that i'm living out so it's like i don't want to take all the credit because there is a like i say whether you call it the positive energy the divine holy spirit a god the creator whatever name you want to on it i feel like there's something far greater than us that deserves the the majority of the credit and we just get to live it out
1: that's really interesting i mean like i mean i think we've all had that where you say a word and you're like holy shit i didn't even know that word existed it came out (laughs) of my mouth and like you're like did i even use that word correctly because i don't know how right
0: right there's a fact man (laughs) so for me that's where my, my issue with taking compliments comes, comes in. There. It's like I can accept I really like that song. It's like, oh, cool. But when it's like, yo, Connor, you are the greatest this. And I get a little uncomfortable. And I know it's coming from a good place, so I'll accept it. But it, it gets a little uncomfortable for me because I always feel like I got to give praises to the most high, man.
1: Do you know, it reminds me of a date that I went on recently and she was complimenting me the whole time. And it made mm-hmm. me insecure because I'm like, I've gone on <laughs> enough dates to know that I don't deserve compliments every 30 seconds. Like, you know what I mean? Like it, it started to make me feel like, I feel like you're telling me these things because you think I don't believe it. And now I'm starting right. to doubt it. And it's just like, it's a weird vicious cycle. And I was just like, Exa- one compliment <laughs> is enough. And then let's just talk like normal people.
0: Right. You see, there's something in receiving too many compliments that, That naturally makes us as human beings feel uncomfortable. And I don't know what that is. You know, I don't know. You know, like in your situation, in my situation, there's something there that when we receive too many compliments, it makes us uncomfortable. So for me, I just go the spiritual route and be like, you know what? I'm taking too much credit away from the divine source. So I'm a little uncomfortable right now. Thank you so much. I Thank you for saying that because you mean it with all good intentions. But I'm a little uncomfortable right now.
1: Well, I mean, my attitude is if you like it, buy it and listen to the podcast. That's all I need. Like I, I can live without, yeah. like, I, I like knowing that it's important or that things like impact to you, but at the same time, it's like too much of that. And you start to to lose sight of what reality is. And I feel like that happens a lot to, to various people is like right. just where reality sits.
0: I think you may have figured it out. If you get too many compliments and you start believing in them, then who are you becoming then? If you're this person that's just walking around like, yeah, I am the greatest. Yes, I am the best. Yes, I am this. Yes, I am. This. Who are you now, you know? And I, I don't know that that's a good thing if you start buying into your own hype. So maybe that's why we all get uncomfortable if the compliments get to be too much because then we start teetering on that other side where ego is in control now.
1: And, you, and I think everyone has a certain realization of like, what they really are like, you know what I mean? I think we all know, like, if you keep saying I'm good looking, I know that I'm not bad looking, but I also know that I'm not the best looking. Right. Right. So it's like, I'm not going to like, if you do it all the time, I'm going to be like, okay, you're now just catering to my ego and I don't believe it you say. <laughs> right. And now I'm convinced you think that I'm ugly and it's going to be the opposite right. result. So it's just, I think that's just how our mind, minds work. Really.
0: I agree. I think we might have cracked the code. We might have got a team co-author a book together, man. We might have cracked the matrix, man.
1: That'd be awesome. I think a dream come true if I got to actually write a book with any artist that I spoke to. I think you'd do the heavy lifting. I'm an ideas man, right? Uh, someone, I said to the other day, i come up with weird ideas, but then after that, someone needs to help me put them together because then I'll get lost in the middle of what I I'm
0: can, <laughs> I dig it, man. Well, it's man- funny. I actually... I'm writing a book, man. It's called Tales of a Tumbleweed. I hope people dig it. It's uh, it's going to be just, um, I got a lot of crazy pictures from just all of the years I've been in show business. And they're pictures with people that you wouldn't necessarily think that I've been, you know, around or I've encountered like it's a picture of me and Dre playing cards in the studio, right? That's not a picture that people have even ever seen or just something you wouldn't think. And there are these little stories that I'm going to tell about the picture and how that relationship or that time period affected my life. So, you know, just just wanted to throw that in there At while we just talked about and joked about writing a book. Tales of a Tumbleweed, I'm actually writing right now, man.
1: Do you, do you have an eye, eye of when the release will come?
0: You know what? Probably, probably middle to end of next year.
1: I think that'd be an awesome book to to have and to read and just literally flip through and just see all the all the stories and all the unique moments that you don't, you know, associate a lot of people with.
0: Yeah, man, it's it's crazy. Like, it's crazy. It's, uh, <laughs> I had this picture is me and Raven Simone at like this art exhibit, you know, and it was so funny because I got a niece and she loves Raven Simone because she grew up on That's So Raven. And, uh, <laughs> she looked at the picture and like, that's Raven Simone. Oh my God. And like, she was just, she like, Uncle Ducey. why do you know Raven Simone? And, and it's a cool story, like behind how I ended up at this uh, little art presentation that we were at, but yeah, I got, bro, I got so many pictures with people who, you that you wouldn't expect me with that is hilarious. And I, you know what I thought, like, you know what, pe- maybe people would like to see this and just hear how these certain times in my life impacted me.
1: Yeah. I think that definitely will. I definitely do. And I just love that, you know, even you saying that your niece calls you uncle Doocy, you, you know, like those little, like themes yeah. that I've never heard before or like just those slight insights into, into your life outside of, you know, artist version, all that, all that stuff is so cool to me.
0: Oh man, I appreciate it. Yes. Uncle, I'm uncle Ducey. Whenever I'm around, whenever <laughs> I'm around my nephews, man, I'm uncle Ducey, man. Well,
1: man, I know that uh, we have a bit of a time limitation. Your, your assistant is a hundred percent. She's on it. She's so professional. I'm, Super impressed, but I only have one more question for you. It's probably the hardest question that you're going to get asked. Um, But if you had to recommend one album that everybody should listen to, can't be your own, uh, doesn't have to be hip hop, can be any genre, what would it be?
0: Easy. That wasn't even hard. Seal, too. The second Seal album. I can recite that album from front to back. I've been listening to that record since I since 1995 when it first, there were four when it first came out I probably could if I had to write out the lyrics to every song on that album I could it is still the album that in, 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 influenced me and inspires me the most to this day um, I think it is it, so mu- musically it was ahead of its time to me lyrically I think that man it's so many powerful messages in that album I work out to that album whenever I'm stressed out I go to sleep to that album um ever since I was 12 13 years old seal the two album the one with kiss by a rose and dreaming in metaphors like um prayer for the dying uh bring it on like all of these records that's on there that one album is probably the most influential album in my life personally so seals uh second album
1: you're the first person to mention Seal. And what I love about that question is literally albums that n- people never think of get mentioned. It's amazing. Like, to me, I'm like, mm-hmm. I would have never guessed. There is no way for me to guess that, that Seal's second album would be your pick. And, you know, for you're lucky because a lot of people, that question stumps them. They have to think about it and they get caught between two, two choices. But no, you'll go down in the record books for definitely one of the fastest answered.
0: Yeah, it's sometimes tough because I'm a music guy and there's so many albums that I love, but there's without a doubt, there's no question, any genre, any album that influenced me and inspired me like Seal's second album. I think it's called Seal 2. And um, yeah, it's the one with Kiss by a Rose and like I say, Dreaming in Metaphors like i say i still to this day i still listen to that album to this day to for inspiration on production and just as a songwriter and just any way you could be influenced by an album that one album i've been listening to that shit since non-stop since 1995 so like i say yes yeah, Seal's second album
1: well, we're coming up to 27 years listening to the album straight. So if that doesn't convince you to go listen to it, I don't know what will. But obviously, John Connor, I uh, appreciate you coming through. appreciate everything that you've shared with us. We talked about literally everything under the sun. And I feel
0: like we could just keep talking forever. We're both talkers and we got to do this again sometime, man. I got a lot of music coming out, man. So we got to make sure we do this again.
1: 100%. And I hope you get to tour down in Australia at some point as well. Um, that'd be awesome to, to see you come out. Who knows what's going on every day. It seems like something's new, new is happening, but definitely. Yeah. I feel like we could do like an eight hour podcast, beat, beat Joe Rogan and his whatever. I don't know how he does. It. He talks for so long, um, but yeah, absolute pleasure for you to come through. And I love when you ramble, I feel like you find thoughts when you talk it's kind of cool. So, if anyone ever says to you stop rambling, I'm gonna be always like keep rambling because you just find the next thing and that that's the insightful part to me.
0: Well, thank you so much, man. I uh, uh, and I don't, I'm I'm not gonna start rambling, but <laughs> it's just that I try very particular about what I say and I think about what I say before I say it so that I'm never. If you think about what you say before you say it, you never have to worry about taking anything back or you know regretting anything that you say. So it's like you said, it's like almost you watching it happen in motion. Like I'm trying to make sure I'm I mean everything I say and that I'm saying exactly what I mean. But um, it is such a pleasure, man, and I thank you for having me, man. I, I hope that I do get to Australia because I would love to see it. I've only seen pictures and it looks so beautiful over there, man. So. I would love to come over there. And yes, we got to do this again. Um, Go uh, to all of your listeners. I just dropped a tape. It's called Delirium. Go to my Instagram page at John Connor Music and click the link. It will take you to my link tree where it got it has the John Connor merchandise the new mixtape we just put out Delirium that's setting up for SOS 2 that's coming in January um, I just dropped a song yesterday called To Whom It May Concern where I kind of closed the book on uh, the whole aftermath chapter of my life for all of the people that wondered what happened or all of the fans that was wondering what went down I think that I addressed it in the most classy way that I possibly could um, so go check that out my artist Ace Cabana his project is coming in March uh, it's called Moonwalk and I produced the majority of the project. And then I got a docu-series called The Road to Legendary that shows my journey from high school all the way up to now. So it's so much stuff, man, we're going to have to talk about that's coming soon and that's already been released. And I just thank you for the opportunity, man. I thank you for the opportunity of letting me spread my message, man.
1: A pleasure. The phone was deciding as well as it was falling that it was time to wrap it up. But yeah, definitely check him out. And, you know, I just want to say as well, Uh, props goes out because the way this was set up actually was I actually asked you to be part of the the mailing group to get updates so uh, if you want uh, an artist who is definitely keeping his fans up to date definitely do that and we said he's working on a book so that'll drop as well but absolute pleasure I'm looking forward to doing this again Uh, and then we'll we'll see what happens it's unscripted so who knows what we'll talk about but yeah this was
0: absolutely well let's do it man such a pleasure man
1: Thanks for listening to the show. Please like and subscribe and follow me on Instagram at the underscore hip hop hustle for upcoming podcast news. Also, don't forget to check out my Patreon under hip hop hustle for exclusive content and to help support the show.
0: Bye for now.